We are so glad you joined us for this week's message from Radiance in Macomb, Mississippi. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Today we get into an area uh, in the book of Proverbs that we're going to spend the rest of this month in. And uh, I, I, I confess that uh, I'm not qualified for this because this is all about wisdom and I just don't have it. Um, so it's been humbling to, uh, to, to look at God's Word and to look at what the Proverbs say uh, about us. And, and so as we are um, looking through the, the Proverbs and, and thinking about wisdom, there's actually three areas that we'll start with next week. Today's kind of that bird's eye view that we like to look at, and then we're going to get into the three areas that are evident in Proverbs, and those are character, relationships, and our words. And so all of that is informed through what Solomon and the collection of Proverbs teaches us. And I just want to kind of back up, and I like to be able to... You know me, if you've heard me teach for any length of time, I like to let you see where the old and the new intersect together because they're just as valid and just as valuable in teaching. And so something that, uh, something that I've, I've learned uh, in all of this is that God doesn't want to speak through a portion of His Word. He wants to speak through His Word completely. And so uh, as we look at Proverbs, there's going to be a lot of tie-ins um, to what Jesus spoke in the Gospels as well. Um, so this message series, we're going to launch from this place because Proverbs chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 7 kind of lay the foundation of everything that goes on throughout Proverbs. This is what Proverbs is all about. This is why we're going to study it, because we need to know wisdom and instruction so we can understand words of insight. Receiving uh, instruction in wise dealing and righteousness and justice and, and equity to give prudence to the simple. Um, that's me. Like I need that part. Uh, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So very clearly in those five verses, we see what Solomon is saying to us as this is the ends of all ends. And so this wisdom that we're looking for has to be grounded somewhere in particular. Throughout the Proverbs, you're going to see two general themes. You're going to see warnings and you're going to see benefits. I love how God works throughout the Scriptures. There's never a place where God just says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. God says, here's what's going to happen if you decide to go this way. I want you to choose this way. So there's always a warning and there's always a benefit. And He just says, you want to take the road that has the benefit. There's a benefit to following Jesus. There's a benefit to seeking God's wisdom through the Scriptures. There's also a warning if you choose not to. You continue to do as the world does. There's a warning for that. It's not just an end that's going to be bad. It's going to be living that's not going to be right. It's the reason that we have more people now that deal with more depressing thoughts than ever. It's the reason right now that we have more people that are divided in their own households. It's all spiritual issues. It's, it's got nothing to do with, quote, medical condition or, or just simple emotional problems. It's not that. Every bit of it is spiritual. And the Scriptures bear it out. And you think, a lot of people think, well, a preacher can say that. Well, a preacher up here deals with those same kind of thoughts. I don't like myself a lot of times. I have those thoughts that I don't have any value and that I'm not worth anything. 
I have those thoughts that my life is not meaningful and that I should just end it right now. I have, the enemy tells me that all the time. You know, the only thing that works is not medicine. It's not somebody else telling me how good I am about something. You know, the only thing that works getting on my knees and getting in the Word. It's the only thing that changes that thought process. So I just say again, there's a warning and there's a benefit. So you can sit and you can scoff and you can say you're an idiot for believing that. I'm still here. Still standing here and I'm still going to continue to say it over and over again. It's because God's doing something in our lives and the enemy doesn't like it. And so he's going to put all of these things and the society's going to tell us that, well, it's just how life is and you've got to learn to deal with it. So when we look at the, the whole of Proverbs and you narrow it down to just this passage, I, I just want to kind of lay it out simply. It's for acquire, acquiring wisdom and knowing how to avoid the pitfalls of life, of, of today, of the things that we're going to fall into. It, it's, it's for our personal well-being, not just so we fake like we're good. It's for personal well-being. It's to have joyful relationships. Not, not happy, joyful relationships. Joy is a choice. Happy is an emotion. Joyful. I'm going to choose joyful relationships. And by God, if there is issues that arise, I'm going to continue to fight to have joyful relationships. I'm going to fight for it because it's a choice. I'm going to be fruitful in the labor that I have. And, and I'm going to have good standing in my community. Why? Because I've decided that I'm going to do things God's way because God's way is just simply better. So a little bit of background. Um, there's over 3,000 Proverbs that are attributed to Solomon. They're not all recorded in Proverbs. Uh, if you go to 1 Kings uh, chapter 4, I believe, it talks about there's over 3,000 wise sayings or Proverbs of King Solomon. And most of Proverbs is attributed to King Solomon, but it's not all his. There's actually three different contributors. King Solomon is the majority of it. Uh, it's very poetic in structure. Um, and when you get towards the latter part in chapters 10 and following, there, there's kind of a verse-by-verse verse breakdown where every other line is, here's, here's this, now here's the opposite. Here's this, and here's the opposite. And so it's, it, it can be re read very beautifully. Uh, I know a lot of people have been doing proverb challenges because there's 31 proverbs. There's you know, 30 to 31 days in a month. You can read a proverb every single day. Uh, it's, it's excellent to, to jump into. Um, but uh, there is a connection that takes place because um, in all honesty I never made this connection and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell on Justin for a minute because and Justin had no idea but um, when the students met Wednesday night Justin taught on Matthew chapter 13 well like I had just finished writing my message Wednesday afternoon and like half of this message is Matthew chapter 13 and I'll tell you why in just a minute but Justin went through beautifully with our students and just kind of mapped out the parables that Jesus was teaching in those first seven parables that he brought to the people that were listening and I love it because growing up in like a, in church and in Sunday school as a kid they always taught you that Jesus taught in parables so people would understand him y'all ever hear that and my question even as like a teenager was like well why do they always go back and say what is he talking about like if they understood what he was saying why are they always going back and questioning him and if you go to Matthew 13, it's a beautiful picture of that because he lays out seven parables right in a row. Six of them start with the, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he goes on and tells what the kingdom of heaven is like. But right after he gave the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, verses 1 and following, he has to stop and his disciples go, what are you talking about? 
And his disciples obviously have already been given a portion of that kingdom. They already have a, a little bit of an understanding, but they didn't quite grasp it. So I love the fact that it's still that hidden intimacy. And what Jesus was doing and what the Proverbs are meant for us to do is to wrestle. It's not just to be given something. It's for us to go back and wrestle with it. To, to figure it out. To discern it. To go to other believers and say, hey, help me on this. To dig deep within your own soul and prayer life and say, God, what are you trying to say through this? It's not just for us to go to somebody who teaches and who, who's written commentaries and say, oh, well, that's what it means. Because... It's not necessarily just that, because God speaks spiritually to us in a lot of different ways. There's a general revelation, and there's very specific revelation that He gives to us. But the, the connection between the two is very cool, because the word Proverbs in Hebrew, which the Old Testament is written in, is mashal, M-A-S-H-A-L. And, and in Greek, the same word for Proverbs is parabole, which is what we translate as parable, which is what Jesus taught in. So these are the exact same thing. So if you want to see a proverb and a proverb, that's, that's where they are. Jesus' teachings are proverbs, just like the book of Proverbs are proverbs, and they're both defined the same way. And so what I want to do today is just to kind of give you an overview and, and look a little bit of the connection there, and then over the next couple weeks we'll jump into some specifics in our character and relationships and our words. And so Proverbs chapter 4 is where we're going to camp out today. And it's in two verses, verses 7 and 8. And it just says this. Solomon says wisdom is supreme. It's the highest. It's, it's the above all, end all, tell all. He says, therefore, get wisdom. Now, what does our society tells us? That knowledge is power. And like, that's where we want to go. Well, we're going to find out biblically that knowledge is not the end. Wisdom is. Because you can know a lot of stuff and not be worth a darn. I know a lot of things about football and basketball, and I know a lot of things about, uh, about building stuff, and I know a lot of things about even the Bible, but some of it is still just not very beneficial because I don't do anything with it. So knowledge is not power. Wisdom is empowerment. As he says, though it costs all you have, get understanding. Esteem her. Esteem who? Esteem wisdom. And she will exalt you. Embrace her. and She will honor you. And so through this and in what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 13, I think we're going to catch three things that I want to show you this morning. So we see in Matthew 13, uh, this will not be on your screen, but if you want to go back and study it, it's the entire chapter, Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to give you a little bird's eye view of it as well. Jesus started with this teaching on the sower. And basically he's talking about what it's going to look like to usher in a new kingdom. And so we've looked at in Sacred Moments, a series we did over the last month, that what people were looking for in Jesus was a political Messiah. They thought he was coming to usher in this reign that he was going to stay on earth and he was going to just, it was just going to be incredible. Like, you know, kind of, we talked about this before, like the election cycles that come. Oh, we're going to elect the next great president. He's going to fix all the issues. And then you go through a four to eight year period and yeah, they may have done some great things, but you find out they're not your savior. <laughs> Jesus was the Savior, but He was a Savior in a different way. And so the kingdom that He was ushering in was a lot different than what they expected. And so as He's teaching this, they get confused. And so when they get confused, He says, all right, let me break it down for you. And that's where the six parables come in about what the kingdom of heaven will be like. And He tells them uh, in, uh, in the following passage, He says that it's the parable of the wheat and the tares, depending on what your Bible says. It could be weeds or whatever. 
it, it's uh, it's it's a par- it's a parable that he tells because what we think of as the kingdom of heaven now is different than what they thought of, and so the kingdom that we think of is is that we have to separate and divide ourselves among all other people, and we have to not do this and not do that, and you know the church is is a called out entity. You're absolutely right, but we're called to be in the world while not being of the world. Not to disassociate ourselves because the sowing that he talks about is, he said, I'm going to go in and I'm going to plant seeds and the wheat is going to sprout. But the enemy is going to come in and he's going to plant weeds or tares, whatever. He says, all this stuff's going to grow up together. And the weed's only purpose is to choke out the wheat. But it doesn't say that we're supposed to be the ones that pluck anything out. It says that God is going to divide that and he's going to be the one that separates the wheat from the tares. In the meantime, church, we're supposed to continue to strive to dig deeper roots. We're supposed to continue to strive to grow up. We're not supposed to try to kick the weeds out of our associations. We're supposed to worry and focus on our spiritual maturity and our spiritual growth. So in the meantime, until that time comes where all that separation takes place, we've got to dig in. We've got to continue to work. We've got to continue to cultivate. And we have to continue to try to be, you know, you, you ever seen it in a, in a garden where things start to cross-pollinate? Like, you know, even if you plant weeds and weeds start growing up, like if, if, you're, uh, if your good stuff is planted right and it stays planted, it can actually choke the weeds out itself. Like we don't ever talk about that, so oh, it don't happen, but it does. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be plucked out. It just ends up turning and becoming the good stuff. That's us trying to take advantage of what God's put in front of us to be, to be examples of the kingdom on earth because the kingdom is not future, it's present. It's not a future kingdom, but a present kingdom. And then he goes in and he says, and here, here's the humble beginnings. He goes in talking about the mustard seed and that, it, that little seed. And if you've never seen a mustard seed, at, it, for them it was the smallest seed that they knew of. And when you plant that thing though, it'll grow seven, eight feet tall. So out of that little bitty seed can come this gigantic, huge, blossoming thing. And it's just, like, to me it's amazing to see how God works through that stuff. It says, but it, all it takes is that little, small amount of faith for you not to get, not only get uh, choked out by the weeds, but also to see the kingdom of God flourish and grow. And it, he talks about yeast and how when you mix yeast in with the dough, it causes it to expand and and if you've ever worked with that before, you know that if you're not careful and you don't pay attention, it'll just keep expanding and keep growing and it can get nasty really quick. But, but in this case, it, usually when you see yeast, it's a bad thing. But in this one, he's saying this is what the kingdom's about. While you've got breath in your lungs, we're supposed to be infiltrating the enemy's territory and taking back what God says is his. God's not going to strike anybody down until everybody has a chance to hear the good news. And so we have a mission that we have to continue. He goes in and talks about hidden treasures. And he talks about the pearls. And there's a lot of ways to translate this. We're a treasure to him. There's no doubt. But there's also a portion of this where when we receive the hiding of that treasure, we've got to hide it deep right here. If we don't hide that treasure deep right here, it's not going to take root. If we don't hide that treasure deep right here, if we don't treat it with the utmost respect and we don't, we don't esteem it the right way, as he says, wisdom, we're going to lose it. We're, we're not going to keep it. We're not going to be able to continue 
on the journey. And so we see the, the characteristics of this kingdom and what, the, what Solomon in Proverbs is talking about, this wisdom that we've got to get. We've got to be kingdom-minded people. We've got to constantly be about our Father's business because we cannot continue to just walk like everybody else walks. I love what Sabrina said last week, if you wasn't with us. She said, if you encountered a blind person and all they could do was hear you, would they know that you're a follower of Jesus? And if you, could only, if you encountered somebody who could only, hear, uh, could only see but not hear, could they tell by your actions that you're a follower of Jesus? Or do you look like everybody else? There's got to be a difference. There's got to be a setting apart that we... It's not, it's not like God's going to force this. God's going to say, make the decision. Because there's a warning, but there's also a benefit. So until this church decides that they're going to step aside from what the world says is okay, what the world says is fun, what the world says is supposed to bring me joy, and you keep finding out over and over again that it's a liar. Because you keep coming up miserable. I, I mean, I know, I've chased it. You do things trying to make a certain amount of money. When you get to that point, guess what? It's still not enough. You work just on your marriage, which is a great thing, but if it's just the two of you working on your marriage, you find out that it's still not enough. Because you're leaving a component out. As long as we keep leaving God on the sidelines, God's not going to bless what we're doing. There's your warning and your benefit. And so that I said there's just three simple things. And... Uh, when I say simple, like it's written right there in white ink. The first thing is, is that you've got to make the decision today that this is supreme. The kingdom of heaven, the wisdom that God offers to you and to me is the most important thing. Not anything else. Not what I do for a living, not how much money I bring into the household, not how much we spend or how many awesome adventures we have. None of those things are bad in and of themselves. But if you keep leaving God out of them, he's going to, he, he's going to destroy that. Because there's going to come a day where he's going to separate and there's going to be people that think, well, I'm okay. I mean, I look like all these folks, but I'm okay. And you're not going to be okay. Don't let any preacher, teacher, anybody tell you, if you listen to a podcast or whatever, tell you that you can continue to do what the world does and ignore God's calling in your life and be okay. That's not wisdom. That's knowledge. And you've missed it. You've missed it. If you're not careful, we'll miss the very kingdom that God has set up. Here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It doesn't say wisdom, it says knowledge. So you think that all this stuff that you learn in school, and all it's, it's important. Yeah, you need to know things. But if you're leaving God out of it, you're not going to know when to discern what's fact and what's fiction. Because our world, I'm just going to tell you, is teaching, is teaching theory as fact. It's being taught like that constantly. This is fact. There's been nothing that's changed in the last 40 years of this theory, but it's a fact now. Because we want it to be. We move the goalpost because it makes us feel better. Instead of aspiring to go for wisdom. And you see what it says at the end of that. Fools despise wisdom. You keep chasing knowledge, but despise wisdom. And the only place wisdom comes from is from God. It's not going to take you anywhere. Taking a lot of empty arguments. I, I mean, I have them all the time. Being, being from a biblical perspective on life, there's nobody in the academic realm that wants to take anybody seriously. 
Well, it's evolution. Prove it. Like, okay, let's talk about that for a second. The whole basis of anything scientific is, is put through what? A scientific method, right? So that it can be proven, right? Prove evolution. Not, not, not the macro evolution, because that's not where humans came from. Prove it. Prove it. Still a theory. It hasn't been proven. But we're going to teach it as something different. But I'm the idiot. Fools despise wisdom because they don't... Because Here's the main problem. I can't sit back and say that there's somebody smarter than me out there. There's somebody that, that I could attribute taking creation into his hands. Because it puts me in a smaller place. That's what happens when we chase knowledge and we don't chase wisdom. Because it becomes about me. My situation. Who I am. If I'm not the God of my universe, then nobody is. That, that's ultimately what takes place. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If we're not careful, we fall right into that category. Not only do we fall in that category, but we, we end up just saying, you know what, it's not even worth it. We become very stagnant and stale, and we don't even have the conversation. I mean, I have these kind of conversations all the time from a biblical perspective. I'm not argumentative. I'm just passionate about my position. If you want to believe that, that's fine. Just don't tell me that it's truth when nothing's changed. And if we're not, if the church is not going to do it, who's going to do it? You see what I'm saying? So we've got to aspire to recognize that wisdom is supreme. Righteous living and understanding are what flow out of a, a knowledge that God puts in our hearts. And, and, and church, I, I say this all the time. Just take a step. Like some of us, over these three things I'm going to show you, we need to just set it in our hearts that we're going to trust God and His Word more than we're going to trust what anybody else says. Like, we've got, like we believe Jesus saved us. That, we, you know, that sounds really good because if there is an afterlife, I want to be covered for that. But that's not what this is about. This is about us being saved to walk and take a breath every single moment of every single day. It's, it's not some future thing. It's a right now thing. And so maybe you're struggling right now to even get to that point. I, can I just say, like throughout Scripture, God says, test me. Like put me to the test. Put me to the test. Alright God, I'm going to test you on this. But when you do... Here's what you don't do. How many of you, uh, how many of you like to read, like Harry Potter series? Any of you ever read those? Yeah. See, okay, we got some Harry Potter read. What about the Lord of the Rings? Any of you read those Lord of the Rings series? Now, let me ask you a question: If you're reading Harry Potter series, are you going to consult the Lord of the Rings book to get wisdom on Harry Potter? No, doesn't make sense, does it? Stop listening to people that are just arguing about the Bible and listen to what God's Word says. Don't use somebody else that doesn't have God's heart in mind to try to figure out the Bible. Because you're not going to get it. You don't use the Lord of the Rings series to justify Harry Potter. It sounds stupid. It sounds stupid to use somebody who is intentionally going to deceive using God's Word to tear God's Word apart. So why listen to it? You go to God's Word to get wisdom from God's Word. Period. Church. That's where we go. We have to esteem wisdom. We have to make wisdom supreme in our life. Second thing is this. Wisdom is going to come at a cost. 
It cost Jesus his life to speak 30 parables into people. Because they did not ultimately, religiously, did not like what he had to say. They did not care for the fact that he came in saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. From the word go, he's already basically in their minds spitting on the fact that what everything that they've known, everything that they've done, everything that they've accomplished. In Matthew 13, Jesus says this in verses 44 through 46. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found, found it, he covered it. It says, In his joy he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. And then he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus already exemplified this by saying that you are that hidden treasure. That you are that valuable pearl. And I'm going to lay my life down to redeem you. I'm going to give everything that I've got so that I can get you as a treasure. Because you're valuable. You mean something. You're important. The kingdom can't function without you. Not that God's not capable, but because He chooses to use people. And it's us. Now we have to look and see, okay, God, what part do I play in this kingdom? What am I willing to lay down? What am I willing to give up in order to seek the kingdom that you have sought and placed in me? If you go on and you look in Matthew 19, he says, if you would be perfect. He's talking to the rich young ruler. He says, if you would be perfect, go and sell everything that you've got and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, the same treasure they just talked about. And come follow me. You know what happened to the rich young man? He walked away with his head down because it was too high a price for him. This call is not easy. It's not just a, I'm going to wipe your tears, and then you go back out in the world and you find out that it's going to slam you again. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us relationships. It's going to cost us financially. What? We poured everything that we had into making this place happen because God called us to do it. Not bragging on Michael, but it's going to cost when God calls. It's not, it's not going to just cost us some tears. It's going to cost us some pain. It's going to cost some relationships that God brings for you to minister to, and they're going to spit in your face in the end. It costs you something. It is because it's of great worth. It's valuable. It's meaningful. And then you've got to make the decision. Am I going to continue to do this? Am I going to continue to take a beating because God says, you're called to it. Because other people are hearing from God telling you, you're called to it. Because you're called to it. Because God's called you to do this. You get over in Philippians, and the, uh, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 says, whatever gain I had, I counted it a loss for the sake of Christ. Paul was fairly wealthy at the time of his conversion. He made a living off the government killing Christians. And business was really good for Paul. And when that encounter with Jesus took place, it cost him his position. It cost him financially. It cost him relationships. It cost him in every way possible. And in America, church, we want to have the easy Christianity that it doesn't cost us anything. It's not possible. I just want you to know the truth because I'd rather you be steeped in the truth and know that God's grace covers 
than to believe a lie and continue to walk believing that you're something that you're not. And then Matthew 13, which is on your screen right now, Jesus says this. He says, The disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Why do you speak to them that way? Why do you give them these stories and these statements? And Jesus says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. The ability to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Now, now listen to this. When you go back and you study this word, He doesn't say, I've given you the secrets of the kingdom. He says, I've given you the ability to know the secrets of the kingdom. I have given you everything possible for you to know, to discern, and to seek me more diligently. I've given you everything possible in your ability to trust me. He didn't say, I just gave it to you. He said, I gave you the ability to know it. And the disciples are still going, but I don't get it. Here, here's, here's my personal belief. Every time Jesus spoke, people walked away constantly thinking about what he said. They may not have done what we like to see in church where they give an invitation and everybody comes down. Most of them walked away going, man, what, did, what just happened? What, what is he talking about? That's what happens throughout most of the parables. Every time he teaches, there's a couple that you'll see in there that, that get it immediately. But here's, here's what I really believe. God wants us to hear his word so that we go and we wrestle with it when we leave, wherever it is we're listening to it. Whatever church you may get to, whatever you may listen to on the radio, we wrestle and we dig and we're willing to examine ourselves at a deeper level because he's not just going to give this to us. He says, I've given you the ability to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. He goes down and he quotes Isaiah in verse 14. He says, you will indeed but hear but not understand. He says, you will indeed see but you won't perceive. For this people's hearts have grown dull. Their eyes they can barely hear. Their, e their, uh, their ears they can barely hear. Their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and then I will heal them is what he says and he quotes from the prophet Isaiah it's because we don't tune ourselves to hear we don't tune ourselves to see and therefore we don't tune ourselves to believe what God's word says about you and about me and he goes on and he closes this little segment when he's talking to him in verses 16 and 17 he says Blessed are your eyes, for they see. Now they're asking, why do you teach in parables? Because we don't get it all the time. He says, I'm telling you, you've got the eyes to see. Church, you've been given the vision to see. You've been given the ears to hear. He says, truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Church, we're living in an age where people, man, I wish I could have walked with Jesus. It sure would have been easy to believe. And you got the, the deceased disciples and apostles in heaven going, you've got God living in you. How much easier should it be for you to live and walk and breathe? But we miss it. And I don't want to leave it as a negative because we miss it. We all miss it. There are things that we all miss. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to be willing to take one 
step of faith? Are we going to be willing to realize that wisdom is supreme? Are we going to be willing to realize that wisdom is going to cost us something? This kingdom that God has planted in us is going to cost us. People are going to make fun of you because you believe in Jesus. They're going to walk into the church and, and mock you. I mean, it happens. It happens. They're, they're going to walk into your household and they're going to take every resource that you could possibly give them and then they're going to turn around and say, well, you're no value to me anymore. Because you won't leave your first love. Esteem. Grab hold of. Realize how important wisdom, the wisdom that God gives us is. Realize it's going to cost us something. And the third thing that's found in, in Proverbs 4, 7, and 8 is esteem and embrace it. Like you know... You know it's going to cost. Now it's time to put some action behind it. Esteem and embrace. I know some of us don't like words like this. So I'm just going to tell you esteem is a, is, is a word that just means respect and admire. And embrace is to accept, support willingly and enthusiastically. So this kingdom that we're, this wisdom that we're embracing is not one that we just kind of be like, I'm going to take my seat at the table. No, we're like pumped that we got a seat at the table. We're enthusiastic about this. It's not just something that, that we just kind of slide by and say, man, I'm so glad I made it. No! It's something that we enthusiastically embrace. And it says that when we esteem, it says that wisdom will exalt. What does exalt mean? It means we're going to be lifted up. When we realize the potential of the kingdom that's been planted in each one of us, it says that we're going to get lifted up. We're called sons and daughters of the Most High God. There is no greater privileged position to be esteemed to, to be exalted to. And it says when we embrace, when we embrace, we're going to be, we're going to be lifted. We're going to be raised up in honor because she will honor you. Not like the world honors where you'll get an award and then they'll forget about you in six weeks. But that position of honor that God's giving to His children is one for eternity. We don't lose that. It's so much different and so much, so much better. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 18, I posted this on social media this week. It says that she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Wisdom, wisdom is a tree of life. And those who laid hold of her are called blessed. But if you continue in that passage, it says, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. Oh, I can't, I can't believe that. I can't believe that God created the earth. I can believe that something came out of nothing though. By understanding, He established the heavens. By His knowledge... The deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. I love it. I absolutely love it. If you go into Proverbs chapter 8, which is where I want to close this morning, it said, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work. The first of His acts of old. So it wasn't creating the, the universe. Solomon says that God created wisdom. God created knowledge. He says, ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. And then God used that to create. 
That's our God. Simply accessible, but infinitely more wise than we could ever imagine. Infinitely better, willing to offer us the warnings of continuing in a life apart from Him and giving us the benefits of what that life with Him can be like. When there were no depths, I was brought forth, is what it says. This is wisdom speaking about itself. When they... When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before He had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when He established the heavens, I was there. When He drew a circle on the face of the deep, when He made firm the skies above, when He established the fountains of the deep, when He assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress His command, when He marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside Him like a master workman and I was daily His delight, rejoicing before Him always, rejoicing in His inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Before we were ever created, wisdom says that I had delighted in everything that God created. That, that you and I, if we would just be willing to embrace and be willing to esteem the kingdom that God is setting up, says that we were already being rejoiced over so in closing, I, I want to say one thing. Choose the way of wisdom. Choose the way of wisdom. Like, just make the choice. God's given you the free will to choose how you're going to respond to His Word, to His call, to you personally. And I'm just going to ask you to choose the way of wisdom. And this, this is not going to be on your screen, but I want to show you throughout chapter 2 of Proverbs, here's what happens when you choose the way of wisdom. Victory is what happens when you choose the way of wisdom. Victory over what? Victory over everything. There's not a single thing that when we choose the things of God that we cannot have victory over. Chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 9. Understanding is what comes our way. Discretion in, chapter, in verse 11. It says it will save us in, in verse 12. From, what is it going to save us from? In verse 12 it says it saves us from wicked men. In verse 15 it's going to save us from the crooked. It's going to save us in verse 14 from the perverseness of this world. If we will simply choose the way of wisdom. It's going to save us from the adulterer. It's going to save us from the ignorant. It's going to save us from death. All that's found in chapter 2 of Proverbs. Just for us choosing Wisdom. Proverbs 22 uh, verse 1 says, If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, and then you close out, like there's this whole beautiful picture, and I'm not trying to leave anything out, but get to the last three verses, and in verse 20 it says, You will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of righteousness. So that starts with, If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. Wherever you are today, Make the decision to choose wisdom. Make the decision to see God for who God really is and to choose wisdom. How? First, you've got to place your trust in Jesus Christ. It starts and ends right there. You've got to place your trust in Christ because He is the culmination of the kingdom. He's the sower that came to set it up. He's the sustainer of it. And He's the one that's going to be there when this world burns. Put your trust in Christ. And, and there, there's the benefit. Now here's the warning. 
If you choose the way of the fool, Proverbs 1 says, Fools despise wisdom and discipline. And the rest of Proverbs chapter 1 lays out what, what foolishness will bring us. It says, The way of the fool ends in bloodshed in verse 11. Ill-gotten gain in verse 19. And mockery in verse 22. Rebuke in 23. Rejection in 24. Ignorance in 25. Calamity in 26. Disaster in 26. Waywardness, destruction, and ultimately leads to death. All of those are what await the fool. It's not my words. Go read Proverbs 1. And we want to know why we struggle with so many things in our society. It's because we don't trust God. If he's, if he's good enough to save us from hell in eternity, He's got to be better for life right now. Fools despise wisdom. Fools despise discipline. You know how many times that word shows up in Proverbs? 42. And it never ends well. And it's been proven over and over and over again. It never ends well. And so this morning, here, here's the simple call. Choose wisdom. Choose wisdom. Don't take my word for it. This is what I want you to do. Walk out the door and wrestle with God about it. Walk out the door, open the Scriptures and say, Okay, God, I don't trust any of this. That dude's an idiot. Open it up. God, God says all over the place, put me to the test. You want to see me bless you? Put me to the test. You want to see this take place in your life? Put me to the test. Uh, it, it's all over the place. Old Testament, New Testament, God constantly tells us, I'm willing to allow you to test me in all of it. The world says, don't test me. That's being judgmental. God says, test me. There's not a ruler or authority on the face of the planet that will allow you to test their authority. You know of any? Not a single one. Because most of us, if we're honest, we don't want anybody testing our authority in our own life. That's where it's got to start. So today, take one step. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Radiance in Macomb, Mississippi. If you have made a decision to follow Jesus, would like to connect with a pastor, or would like to support the ministry of Radiance, you can easily do so on our website at RadianceMacomb.com. We hope you have a blessed week.